Russia withdraws from the grain deal, putting the global food security at risk. At the same time, it started regular shelling of the Ukrainian port cities, including Ukrainian grand depositories. You are listening to the podcast Explaining Ukraine. Explaining Ukraine is a podcast by Ukraine World, a website in English about Ukraine. My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko, I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. My guest today is Maxim Panchenko, who is analyst and journalist at Ukraine World. Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the biggest Ukrainian media NGOs. This is our weekly overview of major events in and around Ukraine from the July 14th until July 21st, 2023. Uh, Ukraine World is brought to you by Internews Ukraine and let me remind you that you can support us by patreon.com slash ukraineworld, patreon.com slash ukraineworld. Hello, Maxim. Thank you for joining this podcast. So let us uh, describe the key events and trends in and around Ukraine over the past week. Hello, Volodya, uh, as always, for having me. So the developments we're going to discuss are this. We're going to discuss the continuous shelling of Odessa by Russia uh, as keeping the trend of shelling Ukraine in peaceful cities. We also are going to discuss the developments around the grain deal, how it is being stopped in its tracks by Russia, and how the world, as well as Ukraine, reacts. We're going to switch to the front lines to see how the counteroffensive is going and to the developments uh, around the Kupiansk area uh, and what Russia is trying to do that, uh, there. Uh, we're going to talk about the Ramstein meeting that happened yesterday, about explosions in Crimea, and also about potential diversions abroad in Poland by Russians, because that fits into the pattern we're going to discuss later this episode. Okay, so the first news is that, of course, Russia withdraws from the grain deal and um, makes it clear to the whole world that it is, doesn't really care about food security. Uh, let me remind you that the grain deal is a very sophisticated agreement between, on the one hand, Ukraine, Turkey and United Nations, and on the other hand, Russia, Turkey and the United Nations, which would assure the exportation, the exports of the Ukrainian foodstuffs uh, to the global markets through the Black Sea ports and primarily Odessa, uh, to a lesser extent Mykolaiv. And uh, Russia, well, it was threatening that it, it was not going to prolong the grain deal, its participation in the grain deal under the current format. And finally, when the dates of expiration has come, uh, Russia said that it will not continue it. And uh, Putin, in one of the interviews, he said that uh, first he requires that the world lift sanctions against Russia, and then he would probably uh, think whether to rejoin the grain deal. So why, why it is important? Well, in order to answer that question, I think it's useful to put things into perspective to understand what Russia wants, because the Green Deal has been uh, prolonged several times so far, and uh, each time Russia has been talking that uh, the prolongation does not happen according to the conditions that Russia wants to be met. And uh, this time uh, seems to have become a deal-breaker 
for Russia. So this is a way for the Kremlin to blackmail the world. And the um, the goal of the blackmail is this. The conditions Russia puts on the prolongation of the grain deal is indeed, as you mentioned, the lifting of some sanctions. And within that uh, list is the reconnection of the Russian Silhosp, the agricultural bank, Silhosbank, to, to the SWIFT system. Uh, the... Um, pretext to this, I would say, is that Russia wants to show like the world precludes Russia from trading uh, with the world from delivering Russian grains to the poor countries. So Russia is trying to play a good cop here. But in reality, Russia needs a loophole. Russia needs even a single bank to be reconnected to SWIFT in order to have Uh, to have the to have the impact of sanctions against the banking sector reduced because that loophole was something Russia will start uh, developing its reconnection from, and also it's about politics because once the West gives in to to these demands, Russia will uh, suddenly start playing its game on a different level. It will start positioning itself in the world. Like look, it's now about the mutually beneficial negotiations, like somebody lifted the sanctions because it, it's good for the countries of the so-called third world, and uh, for Africa, for Asia, everybody is receiving what humanitarily is needed, and it will not be any longer the discussion about the punishment of the guilty. So Russia basically needs this, needs this at the end of the day for the optics, and that's exactly why the world does not need to give in. And of course, it's it's primarily not the Western world which will suffer from this decision, but the non-Western world to which Ukrainians are actually exporting <clears throat> its foodstuff. And the question is how it will be perceived in the non-Western world, in African countries, primarily in the Middle East, because some of the hypothesis is that Putin will probably say he would return to the grain deal as a kind of a, his goodwill, and that will be made... Uh, on a summit of Russia with African countries so as a as a PR gesture that, look, Russia is so good, it is, is so caring about you. It is possible, but it is also possible that Russia kind of a, tries to explore uh, uh, its strength and um, how actually everybody will react and uh, whether the Ukrainians will still try to Uh, keep ships through the Black Sea, which is highly problematic. What do you think? Well, my message here would be that even if it appears so that Russia uh, has a good standing uh, now to blackmail the world, the world should not give in because think a minute about the standing of Ukraine and the West in this situation. First of all, from what we've seen in the recent days after these statements by Russia, uh, the, for instance, some of the African countries, they basically support Ukraine's position. For instance, the foreign minister of uh, Kenya said he basically blamed Russia, that Russia was going to be responsible for the shortage of food in countries like Africa. And Kenya is a key player for opinion shaping in Africa, of course, one of the opinion shaping uh, countries. This means that Ukraine has enough standing, again, in, in the sense of optics. More importantly, uh, the story with the exports of Ukrainian grain uh, has been protecting for around a year now. 
And in this time, Ukraine has managed to develop to a certain and quite good extent several alternative routes. Like, for instance, there are solidarity lanes through, with the European Union uh, that go through the western border of Ukraine to a number of countries that are bordering on Ukraine within the number of member states of the European Union. And of course, the, uh, the ports on the Danube, in the delta of Danube, have been, has been, have been booming. The uh, ports in Rani and the ports in, and the port in uh, Ismail, the two Ukrainian towns in Odessa uh, Oblast, have indeed been booming. And Ukraine has more than just one way to export things from those river uh, ports, because Ukraine has a way to export that through the mouths of Danube that go through Romania. All those all, all that grain can be exported through. Up the stream of Danube to Constanza, uh, the Romanian port, uh, even further away from the from the front lines. So the world needs to understand: Ukraine has not lost this time. It has developed alternatives, and it's no better that way than to give in to this uh, blackmail of Russia. Indeed, I uh, we visited recently the Odessa region, and we we went through this road Odessa Reni, which is a very interesting road because at one moment it actually enters the Moldovan territory, mm-hmm. and it is it is right it is kind of a this transit route. Well, you're actually in Moldova, but still the road is is under jurisdiction of Ukraine. And uh, there are lots of lots of big cars, lots of lots of trucks going. Like you, you never, you you don't see it anywhere. I think in Ukraine, um, not on other big roads, because actually this road uh, Odessa Reni is quite narrow, but still the number of trucks is is enormous. So this might be a, an indication that this is indeed one of the routes. But at the same time, uh, we can also say that Ukraine started producing less, probably, because of the fields which are mined, right, mm-hmm. because of the occupied territories. And this is also um, says that Ukraine is simply can export, unfortunately, less of foodstuff. But still, uh, what what is going on, and this is another our topic, is that Russia not only withdraws from the grain de- uh, deal, so tries to really limit the capacity of Ukraine to export its foodstuff and to really feed the uh, the the world, the, the rest of the world, but it it also affects it also attacks the grain depositories uh, near these ports. And by bombing Odessa and Mykolaiv in the recent nights, uh, several nights, the Odessa people are really living through the very hard times right now. They are under under attack from Russia. Uh, and uh, we see that administrative buildings are under attack, but also these grain deposits. So Russia is really trying to harm not only the Ukrainian economy, but also people around the world, uh, in particular in Africa and Middle East, uh, who will not only have much limited Ukrainian exports, but who will also have its limited because of these deposits are being destroyed. Yes, indeed, and there are several noteworthy things in this regard. First of all, uh, please note that this couple, past couple of days, Russia has not been saying that the shellings we have just carried out against Odessa, that they have been against any supposed military objects. Russia is just not saying anything. So basically, Russia is not uh, hiding anymore 
that in order to achieve its goals, it is fighting, it is committing uh, war crimes that can translate into civilian casualties, not just because of the shellings itself, uh, themselves, but also because of the potential food shortage, and not just in Ukraine. So Russia does not even go anymore there to uh, to suggest that look, you know, to suggest any sham pretexts that we never did this. They are they are just silent anymore. So please, the world, pay attention to that. That Russia is not stopping anywhere. So that that's the first thing. The second thing is that coupled with the statements that Russia made a couple of days ago after the previous iteration of the grain deal expired, about that Russia is going to. Uh, see any vessel, any incoming vessel to Odessa ports as military potential targets because Russia would presume that uh, military materials would be brought to Ukraine via those vessels. It already says that de facto uh, Russia is imposing a, a maritime blockade, a naval blockade against Ukraine, which according to, mil- to international law in itself is a, a type of aggression against a given country which is now the case with Ukraine. So this indeed is a story in development, and the stakes, as usually is the case with Russia, are being heightened and heightened, and the world needs to respond. And what what better respond there would be other than to stand off with Russia if Russia is not indeed hiding, as I said. It is waging war at any cost. It needs to be stopped. Yes, and Russia is not hiding that uh, it actually pursues the genocidal goals. We have seen several messages on Russian Telegram channels mentioning the word Holodomor, which is a great famine, uh, artificial famine imposed by Stalinist regime over Ukrainian peasants in uh, 1932-1933. So uh, these Telegram channels are actually taking this sarcastic mocking line, oh, okay, we just bombed the grain depositories, and um, this is probably leads to another Holodomor, ha-ha, uh, we will do it again, just wait for us. So um, this um, this message, uh, we can do it again, we can repeat, is actually indeed in the minds of the Russian Russian propagandists. And uh, But what is important is that we understand that Ukraine is full of, you know, it's, it's, it has high, high capacity, it's very in terms of feeding itself, it's very uh, the majority of food, the majority of grain it produces, like big, big majority is, is going abroad. I, I think it's like Ukraine produces like three times as much of, of grain as, as it actually consumes. So again, what it will affect is other countries of the world and primarily the the, the countries of Africa and Middle East. We need to understand that even those experts which are going by these routes through uh, to the Uni- uh, European Union, to Romania, to Poland, end up uh, by being re-exported to the countries of Africa and Middle East and some and Asia and some other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Let us talk about Crimea. So Ukrainians showed again that they can actually reach the uh, the Crimean bridge. And uh, maybe this shelling of um, Ukrainian port cities is a is a retaliation. What Russians perceive as a response and retaliation uh, on Ukrainian attacks. So um, Crimean beach breach uh, has been again damaged, and uh, Russians has start have started publishing all those maps how to avoid Crimean breach, how to go through actually 
Russian-occupied Ukrainian territories north of Azov Sea and north of Black Sea. So how important it is, uh, what do you think? Well, I think the thing to pay attention here is the density of developments. So first, there was uh, there were these developments around the uh, br- the Crimean bridge that we discussed in our last episode back on Monday, and only a couple of days later, there was this huge um, ammo depot in Crimea. I think it was in the village of Stary Krim, the old Crimea, as it has been as it is translated, um, and. Reportedly, the detonation uh, was going on for around uh, a day, for around 24 hours. And, But again, as I said, the key thing to pay attention to here is the density of events. So this happening each several days shows that Ukraine indeed pays the biggest effort to, uh, well, not just to localize, but also to uh, cut off uh, the area it is uh, meaning to uh, to reconquer and to stop procurement, to stop deliveries through Crimea, through the Crimean bridge. Uh, there have previously been uh, attacks, diversion attacks on railways in Crimea, the ones leading to Jankoy, which is to the north uh, of Crimea, hence leading to the now occupied parts by Russia of the south of Ukraine. And there were a couple of weeks back, attacks on the um, on the bridges in Shonhar, which is the bridge connecting uh, Crimea and the mainland Ukraine. Mainland Ukraine. So this is a systematic work, and this is something that needs to be gathered, that needs to be uh, uh, seen in the strategy that Ukraine I- is now carrying out. So we're trying to uh, cut those uh, those areas off in order to. Uh, to defeat Russians that are there and then to retake it once they are weaker. So that's the strategy, I would say. Yes, and it also shows uh, the vulnerability of Russian defense, right? What else? Rammstein meeting, what does Ukrainian, what do Ukraine, what does Ukraine expect from it? Well, I'm not sure if I'm right saying this, but I think that once Rammstein is happening online, and this time it was the case, it's a little bit more in the passing. It's my impression. You may contest me to that. But uh, it's my, uh, yes, it's my opinion that this was just to keep track of things that already are in place, to talk about how the procurement of the air defense is going, uh, how the procurement of the heavy weaponry is going, of ammunition is going. What I'm driving at is I did not really see anything brand new that Ukraine's need for another stage of counteroffensive. Like, for instance, President Zelensky uh, said uh, a couple of days uh, back when there were first attacks on Odessa that uh, Ukraine needs more air defense systems like Petrons and Nassams in order to protect Odessa uh, the same way that Kyiv is protected, because Kyiv, of course, is best protected in Ukraine, given the density of military objects here. Uh, but given the communi- judging from the communiques of the Ramstein summit, uh, it was just keeping track of how uh, air defense is being delivered to Ukraine. 
and Ukraine cannot uh, really afford that slow pace in this sense. Also, the F-16s. Of course, they were mentioned in the communique, but again, the other messages that are being delivered on the uh, on the procurement of F-16s is that we're going to receive them somewhere in the first quarter of uh, 2024, and those already other statements made by Ukraine's foreign minister, Kulebas, make, which makes them quite formal. Uh, and, but we still need them already for the counteroffensive. Uh, and uh, so my impression from the Ramstein, it is about as I previously said in other episodes, about more of the same. But we're slowly coming to the time, to the stage in the war, where good is not good enough anymore. We need qualitative change. Yes, and we need to understand that Russia is also changing. Russia is also producing lots of its own materials. Russia is opening the factories for drone production, and uh, tries to also enhance the production of missiles. This is all the reality in which we are living. And maybe the last topic is the the episode in Poland with regard to those Russian agents who tried to blow up the trains with aid to Ukraine. Yes, uh, I would not really dwell on the specificities of uh, how and where it happened, just I would rather would like to put this again into perspective because this is not the first time something like that or of a similar kind is happening or is bound to happen abroad. Like, for instance, we remember uh, the explosions at the depots, not just in Ukraine, because that has been a story th- since maybe decades, uh, but also abroad, like, for instance, in Bulgaria, uh, connected with the uh, producers in Czech Republic. So all those are cells of a network. All those developments are uh, links of of a single chain that Russia is trying to blow up something there, blow up something here, and then to undermine the procurement of things, of ammunition, of heavy weaponry in case of this uh, potential uh, blow-up in Poland to Ukraine. And this is all the more important, given the fact that uh, even officials, the European officials, they recognize that uh, the European Union and European states, both in their capacity of EU member states and NATO member states, have not paid enough attention to the preparation to potential warfare in the recent decades, which now translates into the shortage of ammunition that they just cannot send to Ukraine because they just do not have enough time to produce it anymore. And they do not even have enough stocks to protect themselves should the war happen in their territories these days. So on top of that, these explosions of the procu- on the procured materials that are decided to be delivered to Ukraine also happen. So this need, does not need to be underestimated. And people who live abroad in Europe and think like, we're supporting Ukraine, but the war is happening in Ukraine. We're in relative safety. Just remember that for Russians, you are part of the big picture, and that way you are not safe. This is very important to remember, I think. Yes, indeed. And uh, don't forget that Russians are also making lots of operations outside its borders, and not only in Ukraine. We all know that. Thank you, Maxim, for this analysis, and thank you for putting things into perspective. This was a, a podcast explaining Ukraine in our weekly episode in which we analyzed key events and trends in Ukraine from the July 14th until July 21st, 2023.
My name is Volodymyr Yermolenko. I'm Ukrainian philosopher and journalist, chief editor of Ukraine World. I was joined by Maxim Panchenko, analyst and journalist at Ukraine World. Ukraine World is a website in English and other languages about Ukraine. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, it is brought to you by Internews Ukraine, one of the Ukrainian media NGOs. You can always support our work at patreon.com slash Ukraine World. Stay with us and stand with Ukraine.